Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott alongside, as always, hello, Scott. Sean, for those of our listeners that aren't uh, seeing any video for this, I can see your curling broom stacked up there in the corner. When's the first uh, time you're hitting the ice, or has it already happened? Has not happened for me yet. Uh, Where we play at the Ottawa Curling Club, leagues are ongoing. Uh, We are currently I believe just by the process of of numbers, I think we're tied for third place on Monday nights uh, by having not played uh, in opening night. Uh, the Thursday night league I play in has opening night tomorrow. I am unable to attend that game, so uh, I did. I decided not to avail myself of the practice ice over the opening weekend, figuring it'd be useless because I won't be on the ice again for like ten or something days. So I have not been on the ice yet. Uh, did you go over and practice Scott? No, no, I haven't yet. Uh, I I've been maintaining my dry land training, uh, <laughs> regiment, but, uh, I, you know what? I'm going to save it for that first night. <laughs> Nothing like the first slide of the season right before a game, right? That's right. You hear the groans and the cracks and the creaks and all that. Oh. And you know, tomorrow's not going to feel great. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, an annual fall tradition. If you have not played yet, which I know most people in Canada still have not played at the rec level, we do have an episode on how to get yourself ready to play your first game. And this is not just physical, uh, but we would encourage you to check out. Stephanie does a lot of uh, great work on dryland stuff. Uh, So check out her stuff for getting ready for your first game. But we have more or less practical things in terms of getting your equipment ready, uh, ways to prepare with your team. We have a full episode on that. So uh, check out mm-hmm. our, our fall training schedule thing. I, I can't remember what we called it. Something like fall training. Yeah, yeah. Get ready uh, to go back to the club. You know, like the kids have yeah. back to school. We have back to curling. That's right. So uh, we'll be excited to uh, hit the ice next week. Scott? The pros already have. We had our first big season of champions events over the weekend. The points bet invitational out there in Fredericton, New Brunswick. New event single elimination. Scott, let's start with our overall impressions of this event. Uh, We talked about what a single elimination event could look like, uh, how the money could affect things. This was our first look at new teams. So overall, what was your big takeaway here from the points bet it seemed to me like uh, it took a while for the players and the teams to feel comfortable out there there were some pretty low scores especially that first uh, couple of draws Uh, but as the weekend went on it seemed like everybody sort of got their legs under them and uh, we saw some pretty good curling the team dynamics that were revealed were sort of interesting and uh, we had a couple of winners that we didn't project uh, in our bracket, but uh, I'm sure somebody did, and it's not too surprising <laughs> at the end of the day. I, I guess not. I was pretty surprised, I think, at least on the men's side. I think it was a pretty surprising uh, win. So let's start there. Team Carruthers gets the win. Uh, that's, of course, uh, Reed Carruthers, Jason Gunlickson now on this team and playing third and being all uh, Jason Gunlickson y. 
uh, about it, uh, which is a compliment. So I, I very much mean that as a compliment for Jason Gunlickson. We love watching him play. Uh, Derek Samogalski and Connor Negevin round out this squad. Uh, they come through and uh, really played very, very well. Very tough draw for them. They had Braden Calvert in the first game and uh, not really close in that game. And then they had to go through Kui, Gushu, and Dunstone to earn that victory. So full fair to them, Scott, getting to the final and winning. Yeah, and I think, honestly, it was a lot of Gunner playing really, really well. He uh, led the thirds at the in shooting percentage. It's hard with an event that's this uh, length to compare, really, because you're going to have one-game samples versus four-game samples for some people. Sure. But even with that, he managed to post the highest uh, cumulative uh, record, shooting percentage, rather, at, at third. Uh, so it was really, in my mind, Gunlickson setting the table nicely for Reed, who also played really, really well and was near the top of those uh, skip standings. Uh, so you're right, they did have a tough draw. Uh, Team Dunstone looked pretty good. Uh, Brendan Botcher looked pretty good. So yeah, they just uh, outplayed them. Uh, and I think the draw to the button to determine or to break ties was also uh, another story in this event. But uh Really helped Team Carruthers. Did they have to play? They didn't do a draw to the button at any point, did they? Pretty sure they did. I think they beat Gushu on the... Uh... Gushu on the draw to the button. There you go, yeah. All right, well, let's talk about that, Scott. There's been a lot of talk on social media about the draw to the button uh, for the decider. Uh, uh, obviously, Team Homan weren't fans of it. Uh, Joanne Courtney put out a tweet saying that she wasn't a fan of it either. Colin did an article on his sub, sub stack about whether or not the extra end should continue and what the pros and the cons are of it. And I think what one of the issues here that at least uh, some of the teams had with this was that the team that would have had the hammer had an extra end been played, got to select the turn for themselves and by extension, the turn for the other team because both teams were throwing different turns. Now, I kind of like this in that it gives the advantage still to the team that would have the hammer. But mm -hmm. as Colin rightly pointed out, three of the skips who had to throw the opposite side missed the house entirely. And if the point is entertainment, is that really entertaining? Yeah, it turns into more of a guess, right? And so then it's not showcasing the skills of the players it's turning into uh who can guess best yeah. and you know like with an nhl shootout i i think that it, it to me it's not as exciting as playing overtime uh because it, it ends up being like all the guys are really good and it's just mm -hmm. does the goalie guess right or in uh, soccer as like well. that yeah yeah so i don't know like it, having to have both turns be played seems not great uh, as a rule. It doesn't seem super fair. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, you should know both sides, but if you haven't played one side for you know 20 minutes for an end, then it's going to change and your whole game shouldn't come down to that unless you put yourself into a position in an end where over the course of eight rocks, you end up having to play a side that you haven't played before. Right. And in that case, well, that you got yourself in that position or the other team 
you know, through their play, uh, yeah. got that advantage. Yeah. I, I think one of the issues is that extrans are boring. I think they're just, they're not interesting. They're, they know what the shots are going to be. Like, yeah. I don't, they're, yeah. they're not really compelling at all. So I can see the case for wanting to get rid of them. And one of the points Colin makes in his Substack is, well, in any other sport, you wouldn't penalize the team for tying. Like, so if it's the mm-hmm. bottom of the ninth inning and a team ties, you don't say to them, well, you should have tied earlier so that you don't, yeah. so that you have an advantage later in the game. So I, 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 I understand sort of the rationale behind that. I don't know if it's a fair comparison to other sports because managing the hammer is an important part of the sport. If the hammer bounced back and forth every end, independent of what happened, which by the way, there's a free idea for you, Grand Slam. Try that in an event. Uh, the hammer just b- bounces back and forth no matter what. If that was the case, mm-hmm. then sure, right? Then yes, you can't just do it that way. But managing the hammer has become part of the sport. That's why the seventh end uh, is, if you're there, that's go get your beer, get some popcorn. Like the seventh end, they, they don't try like uh, to score. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're trying for blanks, uh, at least the team in the hammer in the seventh end. So if that's part of the sport, and part of the strategy, then that has to, I think, somehow be reflected when you get to the end of the game, because it's reflected at the start of the game in terms of who gets the hammer. We're understanding that it's an advantage to have it in the first end. So we put in a skill component to it, whereas in the past it used to be Red Rocks would throw last or whatever at a Briar or a Scotty's, and now that's not the case. So I I don't know what the actual answer is. I kind of liked this in principle in execution it wasn't particularly exciting because it because one team missed so much like and also yeah. the other thing is i will say for television purposes measures are not exciting uh it's certainly not when the umpire gets their head in the way of the dial no. but uh and in this case they're not measuring two either so it's not like you can really look at yeah. the stick if they're using the laser and then you have to wait for the umpire to be like yellow like huh like, unless it's yeah, Bruce Buffer true. out there being like, yellow, then maybe like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll buy your point there. Um, <laughs> I agree that an extra end is pretty boring and this is a TV event that they're doing. Uh, also it was 10 ends, which sort of surprised me. I was watching, uh, yeah, it was done. The first game, the Jennifer Jones and, uh, Andrea Kelly game. And I was like, oh, well, she missed. The The game's over. And I actually left, <laughs> left my office, <laughs> uh, did a couple things. I came back and I thought, whoa, they're still playing? What's going <laughs> on? Uh, that's nuts. Actually, I might have even checked on the computer and saw that they were in the ninth end and went, oh, yeah. weird. <clears throat> so I know you were trying to fit it into a specific time window, which is fair. Uh, it just, if, if you make it so that it's really the skill of the teams that is determining the outcome and not, Oh, did you have to throw in a bad path? Let everybody Mm -hmm. do their best, right? Don't uh, hold anything back because when you do that, it it makes the playing field like less even and the game is even, which implies that it should be fair, a fair tie. That gets back to the idea. Is it actually even right? Is a tie game after if you're tied after nine, but you've, manage to make sure that you have the hammer in 10 
then that's you you've yeah, managed then, to do that right like it th- is it, it does change the, all like it just cha- it does change the strategy through the game if this rule is in place i'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing it just does right. minimize that part of the game as you get later into it yeah it might, i mean it might make the 10th end more interesting I, th- I think so. And I think that was the goal of this. And Russ yeah. talked about it in every game, even like the blow up games. He was like, well, the strategy late in the game with the draw out of the button. Like, okay, Russ, we, we know <laughs> you're excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> now, one thing that uh, does come up in the Colin piece again, and we know Gunlickson is a big fan of this, is the half point idea where the team that wins the draw to the button at the start of the game, they get to decide whether they start with half of a point or the hammer, and therefore a tie is impossible, and you cannot have a situation where you need to figure out what to do. Scott, what do you think about the half point solution? Yeah, I kind of like it. It's uh, it's interesting, right? Like something different. Who does get the hammer then? It's the person that doesn't take the half point, right? So you get a half point lead, and now no tie is possible yeah so if you win the draw okay. to the button you take either either the half point or the hammer rather than making the draw to the button at the end of the game to win it's mm-hmm. shifting it to the front of the game well we already do it though right like they already do it at the start of the game yeah but they don't do it on tv no they probably st- they probably still wouldn't but if you're if you're think. looking to make some something like exciting at the end of the game then I don't think, oh, they, they won the draw to the button and have a half point advantage when you turn on your TV. I don't think that's really there. I, I like the idea for non-TV games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's pretty interesting. I, I love it at a club. You, you never yeah. have these uh, idiots playing uh, extra ends late on a Monday <laughs> night, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I used to play in a rec play in a rec league where ties were okay. Like, uh, like who cares if you tie at a rec league? Uh, I'm surprised that yeah. we care as much as we do in the leagues we play in. Uh, but <laughs> hey, whatever. Uh, so yeah. I, I don't know. I think the thing about the half point that my initial reaction would be like, no way, that's a terrible idea. But the more I think about it, the more it is actually kind of interesting. Because if you don't want that draw to the button to be as influential as it is at the start of the game, it like right now, if you have the hammer in the first end, you win at a very disproportionate rate. So that draw to the button at the start of the game is so important, so much so that teams will, you could argue, neglect to chart parts of the ice during practice yeah. just so that they can win that draw to the button. So if we can do something that maybe makes that draw to the button at the start of the game, frankly, less important. I know it sounds weird to say that you're going to get a point in the game and that actually minimizes the importance of the draw to the button. I think that does a little bit and it creates a, a more equal place to start the game from. And I, at the very least, I would like to see it in practice and what actually happens. So if we do this points bet next year, maybe let's try it there. Or again, grand slams. You need something to differentiate your, each of your events. One of them can can use this rule. A Champions Cup. Here you go. Everybody yeah. wants to go home at the end of the yeah. year anyway. So let's do it there. Like th- I think there's some merit uh, here uh, in some of these ideas to recognize that 
in terms of entertainment, there are ways to improve end of game scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think, Sean, you're calling for the return of the Elite (laughs) 10.5. Yes, let's do that. (laughs) Well done. Uh, Let's do it. Uh, Well, back to the back to the games, Sean. So anybody stand out to you uh, other than the winners? Uh, So let's uh, stay on the men's side here just for a second. Uh, I think a good job or congratulations, obviously, to Team Dunstone. Uh, That's a nice run for them in their first event together as a team. Uh, Good job uh, for our big TV event for them as a team. So congratulations to, uh, to Matt and the guys there. Uh, so it's, it's nice to see them come out strong in their first event and uh, play well. It would be interesting, of course, to see the uh, team with uh, Matt Dunstone out of Saskatchewan now. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see the dynamic there when we get to the provincial part of the calendar. Uh, elsewhere, you know, it was, it was an early season event. Uh, you know, there is nothing... Like, you know, sometimes people would ask and be like, hey, like, why can't some of these early event things be on TV? And I think we kind of saw why some of the early season events uh, aren't on TV. Like, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't Mm. really all that crisp, you know? Like, there there was just a lot of misses. Uh, The ice wasn't, okay, a lot of misses compared to what we're used to from these teams. A lot of half shots, three-quarter shots. They were struggling with the ice. It seemed to change. So it just, it wasn't, I I feel, the greatest television product just because it was so early in the season. Yeah, for me, sometimes it's fun to watch these guys uh, not make everything, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, by the by, the time uh, the Briar and the Scotties come around, it, the teams tend to be in top form and don't miss a lot, which sure. makes for some great matchups, but also can be less entertaining in a chaos type of way. Yeah. So, and and, and then it, you're able to relate to them a bit more when they struggle uh, with the yeah. ice, right? especially at the beginning of the season, like we're going to (laughs) do. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So, all right, let's move over to the women here. Uh, A couple of nice runs here on the women's side. Jennifer Jones comes out with the victory, beating Team Scheidegger, Sans Casey Scheidegger, who was cheering on from home. So a great run for Scheidegger. Uh, They went through... Uh, team Deshen in the first, or excuse me, uh, they went through uh, Galusha in the first game. Uh, we'll go through Team Holman in the second, then Team Laws to get to Jones. So all one-point games through the round, Robert, or through the, the initial rounds for Team Scheidegger, uh, the mm-hmm. draw to the button against Team Holman. They had the last rock advantage in that draw to the button. And actually at one point, Kate Hogan in the timeout said, Hey, like if we're doing the draw of the button, we would have the hammer. She can throw the bad side. <laughs> so like it factored in to their strategy yeah. uh, over there. Uh, but of course, uh, the big story is Team Jones, uh, Mackenzie Zacharias's old team all staying together, Team uh, and Jennifer Jones stepping in. As the skip, I watched some of that first game against Andrea Kelly Scott, as did you, where... I thought in the second or third end, I was like, oh, our bracket is busted because we had picked Andrea Kelly to win. 
And then Andrea <laughs> Kelly had a big end. I was like, oh, maybe it's not busted. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was entertaining. Of course, Jennifer Jones pulls away at the end there. But what did you see out of Jones and this new dynamic with the young players? Yeah, it was like she had an injection of energy uh, mm-hmm. from playing with these these young young women. It she didn't have a very good game in the first one, right? Uh, trouble with yeah. the ice, uh, shot sixty four percent, I think, or in the sixties. But as the week went on, got a little bit better, felt a little more comfortable with the ice, and I think that the the work they put in before the season as a team, uh you know, a team dynamics wise, uh, it was really looks like it's paid off. Uh, her and Mac have a good, uh, rapport in the house right now. Uh, Jennifer does still dominate th- those interactions I notice, but, uh, you know, Mackenzie's got her own voice that's able to go in there. And especially with the rest of the team, uh, they all support each other. Uh, honestly, they looked, uh, they look really, really good. And, a, a bit scary for uh, Manitoba provincials. Yeah, uh, no question about that. You, you're going to have to have your eyes on them when we come into the provincial season. I thought it was interesting too in the game that they played against Selena Sturmey. They got up pretty big uh, halfway through, mm-hmm. and they brought in uh, Emily Zacharias to play the second half of that game, and then uh, Selena Sturmey uh, came roaring back. <laughs> what was <laughs> A ten to three win or a ten to three lead turned into an eleven to nine win for Team Jones. Kind of an interesting dynamic where you put somebody in uh, halfway through a game. Now, obviously, Emily Zacharias is full fair; like she's a very good player. Uh, but it's sort of this <laughs> dynamic of oh, great, like blowout, we'll make a change, and then oh my goodness, it's a close game all of a sudden. <laughs> it's not always what you want to see, uh, but uh, certainly how they work their lineup moving forward will be interesting. Uh, of course, Jennifer did talk about not playing in all the events. There'd be some events where she sits out or she doesn't yeah. attend at all uh, and uh, figuring out what they'll look like into that Manitoba provincial and into presumably the Scotties, uh, what that lineup will be. Will they switch it through the event as Jennifer has demonstrated a willingness to in the last quad mm-hmm. where she had Jill Officer come in, play some games. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah, who knows, but uh, they did look pretty good. I'll, I'll note I'm looking at the box score. Emily Zacharias shot 95, so I don't think it was her. I'm not, I'm not saying it's her fault. I'm not saying <laughs> know, it's her I fault. I know. Uh, it's funny, though. It's funny. Yeah, um, it's, it's an unfortunate thing for her to be like, oh, my God, like, I'm in the game now. I'm playing well, and why? why what is happening? <laughs> what the heck, man? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I also think thought that the women kind of got short shrift on the draw times for this yeah, event. I agree. Uh, you know, they happened, uh, what was it? 1 PM and 4 PM or well, they had the 10 AM 11 on Friday or the 10 AM yeah. local or, or 10 AM Eastern local or whatever. 10 AM Eastern on Friday, I think. Uh, yeah, but yeah, they had on... the afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning, Friday. Thursday, yeah, yeah, and and even so, the the men's draws that were after were at six p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, which I guess that's the night draw there. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, um, yeah, and then uh, was it a big miss, Sean, 
from Curling Canada to do their celebrity event at Friday night? Or is that just a night people aren't going to watch curling anyway? Well, so I think one of the things that I was wondering about for this, because there wasn't game Saturday night either. And yeah, and it's still like warm out. So yeah, maybe people are out more Friday night, Saturday night at this time of year than they are certainly in the winter. But yeah, I think it was a bit of a miss. Uh, Why not have those games there? And okay, the building was in use, sure. Uh, But the thing that's interesting to me when I think about it is TSN in its schedule, because this is a TV thing. And when you have the Canada Cup, when you have the Continental Cup, those are in times where for TSN, since they don't have the national hockey program or the national hockey package anymore they obviously have nhl games but they're all regionalized they have a little more flexibility in their scheduling at those times of year whereas now you have the cfl and their commitment to the cfl which brings in a bigger audience than curling so you're not going to bump friday night football obviously for curling and do you want Mm -hmm. curling to go up against Friday night football. And then there was a game Saturday night as well. The very entertaining Ottawa red blacks. You could, you really could bump them uh, from the schedule if you want something entertaining, but I I don't know. Like it's one of those things where in the fall, how do you make all that balance? And then Sunday you had the NFL commitments that they have. So having the game Sunday morning, the women's final Sunday morning, that's actually a better spot than what the men's got uh, in terms of the, the timing of it. But yeah, Friday, Saturday night are just tough when the when TSN has CFL. And the CFL is, frankly, their marquee national thing that they, at least that they produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I, I didn't think about the CFL uh, aspect of it. but uh, <laughs> Like millions of Canadians every day, <laughs> you didn't think about the <laughs> CFL. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. But it also, like, even during the day, th- these were only on TSN 3, I think. Uh and my cable package, TSN3, has found uh, much further down the dial than <laughs> TSN. Well, even TSN1. I don't know how they do it, but whatever. <laughs> but it was, uh, I was like, where is this? Oh, only TSN3. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know about that. Did you watch any of the celebrity? I will admit I didn't. I didn't watch any of it, no. No. Was it on? Did uh, they broadcast I, that? Yeah, I think it was on. Oh, okay. Uh, well, was it fun? Sure. Uh, yeah, I guess. I so. mean, let us let us know if you watched it. Let us know uh, on social media. Reach out via email. Let us know if it was fun. Uh, I, I I think what is it? I, when I saw the lineups, I was like, okay, like these are all people mostly who are affiliated with Curling Canada already in some capacity. But mm-hmm. why not let the celebrities be the skips? Yeah. Like, like, okay. Kevin Cooey's there. Like, fine. Like he can throw lead. Maybe. I don't know. Can he throw a lead? Probably. Make, it, make him sweep. Yeah. Like let the celebrities <laughs> throw the last ones. Like, cause this is what happens sometimes, Scott. I've played in some events here. OSSC, uh, the Ottawa sport and social club. They have yeah. bond spiels every so often. Little one day bond spiels where you play 45 minute games. So you can get in like two and a half ends. And the way it works is they blow a whistle and you can throw the position that's throwing and the next position. And that's the end of the game. And that end counts as a full end. So what happens is people who have played before 
will play the back end. And in the first two ends, uh, it's, you know, relatively equal for the most part. But then where it gets exciting was when they come out and blow the whistle. Because if you're on lead stones, which frankly you usually are, your lead and second, who frequently at these events are people who have never played before or play once a year in this type of event, are the ones who are deciding the games. And that's way more fun. So I think that would have been cool for the celebrity thing. And I mean, I know some of them have played before too. Like it's not total beginners. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Sean, I think I like the idea of them going out and blowing a whistle better. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Your turn now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like push your Uh, luck. That game show. It's like, Oh, do you throw? Do you not (laughs) buzz? You get the whammy. Yeah. Whammy, no whammy, no whammy. (laughs) So, yeah. So yeah, the TV of it, you know, it is what it is. Tough time uh, for it. So I don't know. I, I wasn't super jazzed, even though I, I watched it. It's still curling in September, you know, like there, there's something to me where curling, it's still, it, it is a winter sport, right? Like uh, I like to watch it yeah. when it's cold and uh, I'm sort of cozied up in my house with my big hoodie on. I got my blanket on and then it's time to watch the curling, right? It was beautiful mm-hmm. on the weekend here in Ottawa. It, it was. It and was, yeah. It just, it didn't feel great to be watching it, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. You're, I, I watched it uh, mostly during during work times uh, on <laughs> background in the background. Notes. But yeah, yeah that's, that's what curling is uh, in those big, uh, th- th- those big events too in the yeah. winter. All right. Uh, one other thing I noticed here, Scott, from the or two other things actually from this event, the new timing or relatively different timing rules: nineteen minutes per half as opposed to thirty-eight for the game. You still have the two timeouts; they could use at any point during the game. I liked this. Uh, came up with I believe Flash at the fifth end at one of his games. I believe the second game had like 45 seconds to play and he got it in. Uh, good for mm-hmm. him. I kind of like this change. It, it, I think it addresses the way in which teams would bank time without going to the per end time, which other people really didn't like. This feels like a nice balance yeah. to me. What did you think of that? Yeah, it's okay. Uh, I wonder if people are just going to start banking time in the sixth end. Uh, seventh. For the end of the game. The seventh, you're right. The seventh <laughs> would be the one. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it evolves, but I, I didn't, uh, didn't hate it. Didn't love it. All right. Now the other thing, Scott, that I noticed, and we've talked about this on the show before the idea of percentages and shooting percentages, that's shooting percentage on its own is not the most important statistic that you have to look deeper into it. But at the same time, the team that makes the most shots usually going to win the game. But we've also talked about how at Curling Canada events in particular, it feels like the stats are somewhat inflated in terms of the shooting percentages. So I went in and uh, I, I pulled all the numbers out. I just extracted them all and did some math okay. here. Hello, look out. For the week, the men cumulatively shot 81.2% according to the statistics. The women shot 77.3% according to the statistics. 
my conclusion from this is that I would like a Curling Canada uh, statistician to come to the Ottawa Curling Club on Monday night because I feel like I could shoot an easy 65, 70% uh, based on those numbers. Like that feels inflated to me. Yeah, especially when you've got teams that I, I won't say don't belong, but the teams that are, you know, there for other reasons than to win. Oh no! Don't worry. They went. They went uh, to town on Tracy LaRock. Oh yeah, they 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 didn't inflate hers. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, because because even like uh, like Team Deschen stayed within striking distance of Caitlin Laws in the first mm-hmm. game, right? Yeah. And okay, she's got sixty five percent, and Caitlin's got eighty percent. I'm sorry if Caitlin Laws is throwing eighty percent, she's winning that game. Yeah. Like she she's winning the game yeah. by 10 points, right? Like Yeah. The, the her whole team curled over 80% and yeah, and the other team didn't like, and like and, and again, it's when you make shots that really does matter, but it, yeah, if the yes. skip is throwing that poorly against a team that overall is throwing really well, you wouldn't expect the score to be close. The other thing I'll say too, in what I saw anecdotally, obviously it's on TV, we're not seeing all the sheets. The men did not shoot 4% better than the women this week uh in what i saw that, yeah no that's that so so i think what we're gonna do uh take note of this scott for <laughs> uh briar and scotty's games we will select games and we'll go through i i will commit to do this i don't know if i'll do the full course but i'll read all the criteria that the scores are given on how to score a game mm-hmm. and we'll score games we'll score a couple tv games uh what we would give what uh, and compare that to what the actual scores give. Cause I would imagine it's slightly different and that I would think that the curling Canada scores are inflating things. And I'll, I'll say one of the reasons I think this is that I was at an event once and I asked somebody from curling Canada, why do you guys only interview the winners after the game? Like if you ever watch those media scrums after games, yeah. That Curling Canada puts out, it's only the teams that win at a Briar or Scotty's. Like, why don't you ever talk to the teams that lose, which they do in the playoffs, but not during the round robin? And the answer that I was given was we want to highlight people. We want to like put people forward and, and show them at their best and like and really celebrate. And I was like, okay, that's that's fair enough. And I can appreciate that. And mm-hmm. I wonder if that is filtered into the scoring a little bit. I don't know. I, I mean, who knows? Uh, who knows? They're I, I guess they're all pretty good at curling, but uh, we'll find out. Yeah. So that's just something that I noticed where I think it was on Thursday afternoon for 20 minutes. The whole end was, oh, the ice is so tough. Oh, there's so many misses. Uh, you can't really play on this side. Oh, they're just missing all these shots. Like, oh, this is, this, no one's really sharp. And then at the bottom of the screen, it'd be like, and they're throwing 89% for the game. I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> like, yeah. Something like the stat didn't meet up with the narrative that was being presented to me. So yeah. uh, I, I think that's something that we can look into. I, yeah. I feel it's kind of like a, a letter grade academically, right? Like anything below 50%, eh, we'll just throw that out. Everybody gets like about 50. Yeah. Just you for could, showing yeah, up yeah. and signing your name. If you flash your hit. Uh, uh, 50%, you know, you threw the right turn, you threw the correct turn, you know, you did it. Yeah. You know? The only way I think they would give you a zero is if you like, if you still have your gripper on 
you fall out of the hack and you like you impale yourself on the stone. That might be a zero. <laughs> but even at that, if you grabbed the right color stone, maybe they'd give you a point for that. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, we that, will. Yeah. Yeah, we will look in. We will look into that. So overall, uh, for the week at the points bet, uh, congratulations, Team Jones and Team Carruthers. They won a bunch of money. I'm still not entirely sure why I'm supposed to care about the amount of money that they won and why this was brought up as much as it was. If the point is putting a lot of money out there so the team show up, okay, the team showed up. Now let's just focus on the games. Like the money doesn't mean anything to me, but yeah. They talked about the amount of money. So congratulations to them. Spend it wisely, people. Spend it wisely, uh, which for them will be on like flights and hotels and food and basically yeah. funding their curling seasons. Uh, now, the bracket challenge, Scott. I did not keep up with any of the bracket challenge. You did submit our entry for the media competition in the bracket entry. As I said, first game. That was on TV. We had picked Andrea Kelly. She did not win. That is when I gave up on following our bracket. Do you know how we did? No, I don't. <laughs> did uh, <laughs> Did Curling Canada tweet about it? I don't know. Yeah, I like I, uh, I never, I never got any confirmation that we were uh, okay. in it. Okay. Uh, I never got. I never heard anything about how we did. I did see that like at some point on Friday or Saturday, there was one perfect bracket left. Oh, wow. Uh, so. Okay. I found something from points bet about the winners. Big C and cool shots got first and second. Cool shots. Wow. Yeah. I guess those were the names of the, uh, the entries. Nice of cool shots to, uh, to get out of the, uh, to get out of the patch for a little bit to fill it a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh looking at the three to ten sean we did not finish there either shocking yeah it is shocking i think we had no semifinalists on the men's side yeah and on the women's side maybe one okay so we did poorly uh we had carrie anderson and caitlin laws in the semis but we had law we had both of them going to the final and right. laws winning so uh, lost there. And then on the men's side, yeah, the, the less said about it, the better. Yeah. And uh, our apologies to Felix Aslan. <laughs> he tweeted at us after we picked him, uh, building up the pressure for him. But I'll tell you, John Moore has picked him too. So what's more pressure, us or John Moore is picking you? I mean, come on. Not even close. Yeah. Come on. Let's be real. Uh, so yeah. there you go. That, the first edition of the Points Bet Invitational is in the books, and uh, we'll see what happens next year. I think, Scott, the one big thing I would change to this is put it in the Canada Cup time slot. Like, put it in late November, early December. Put it in, the, like, maybe not in the Continental Cup slot because it's getting a little close to provincial territorial playdown mm -hmm. time. But at that time, November, December. Why not? Yeah, I, I kind of understand the September though, Sean, because this uh, sets these teams up financially. That's true. To play the rest of their season or, you know, it gives them a good competition on pretty good arena ice uh, early in the year. So yep. I, I hear what you're saying, but I still don't hate it. And uh, we should say too that there was the points bet repas repasage. How do you say that word? It's a, I use it in boating a lot. 
Repechage. Uh, yeah. In that event, Karsten Sturme comes out victorious. Uh, so congratulations hmm. to them. If you look at their Twitter, uh, they were given a plate for it. Uh, nice serving tray that uh, I don't really know what to do with that. I guess it counts as a trophy. It's like, you know, Scott, what they give to the runner-up at Wimbledon? That's kind of what it looked like yeah. to me. Not like the yeah, fancy plate. That's what I was thinking. But like the smaller silver plate. Yeah. That's like, oh, nice, nice work. Take your plate and enjoy it. Now get in the buffet line. Now, the other piece of news that we want to talk about just before we go, Scott, we have our representatives for the World University Games. The qualifiers were held over the weekend here in Ottawa. In the men's final, it was the Dalhousie Tigers taking on the Hawks of Wilfrid Laurier University. And it was the Tigers cracking a three in the 10th end to win eight to five. So congratulations to Owen Purcell, the skip there and his team that will be making the trip to Lake Placid in January for the international or for the world university games over on the women's side. Sadly for me as a proud alum of the university of Regina, the Cougars fell to the dreaded Alberta pandas 11 to four in the final there. So congratulate congratulations to Abby Marks and her team on that victory. Those are always fun. Those, uh, those U games, uh, there's also the college ones as well. Uh, they're always a good time and uh, some really good play at those events. So Canada will now be represented by the University of Alberta on the women's side and Dalhousie on the men's side. Yeah, congratulations there. Uh, university games are really pretty good quality. So uh, yeah. good luck to them down in Lake Placid, which is beautiful in January, you said? In January, yeah. Very good. Yeah. And uh, also the team of... Kirk Myers and Laura Walker won a mixed doubles event, the Curling Stadium Alberta Curling Series, uh, which still makes me laugh that they called it that. Uh, they won the mixed doubles version of that. Again, why can't they just call it the Curling Stadium Alberta Series? Why, like, why curling again? I don't. I really don't understand it. Uh, best not to, not to ask questions. Like, would we confuse that with the Curling Stadium? Alberta golf series because that like <laughs> if there's another thing that they use the curling anyway uh so congratulations to them as the curling season is now fully in swing here in North America and that'll do it for us this week as uh, we look forward to the start of the Grand Slam season next week uh, that's what we will talk about then so do subscribe so you can get that episode and all of our other episodes and do the likes ratings comments so other people can find us you can also visit us over gameofstonespod.com all of our past episodes are there plus a link to the merch all proceeds to sandra schmerler foundation and food banks canada we match those and scott i ordered another hoodie you get all the orders i yes, assume Sean, you saw, saw this yeah yeah i did yes uh, we got a couple other orders in too so uh, thanks to those of you out there uh ordering those and we'll uh, get those donations up and going soon all right. And uh, of course, you can always follow along with everything we got going on on social media at Game of Stones Pod on Twitter and Instagram, Game of Stones Podcast on Facebook. And you can reach out. Let us know what you want to hear on the show. Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I am off on a bit of a road trip down to 
Detroit, Michigan, which I've always been told I say incorrectly. Uh, now, this is a sports weekend because uh, a friend of mine or a friend of ours, uh, his, uh, is they're planning, he and his wife are welcoming a new baby later this fall. So doing a bit of a pre-baby road trip for some sporting events. Uh, we got football on Sunday, baseball Saturday. But the main event, Scott, is the exhibition game between the Detroit Red Wings and the Washington Capitals Friday night downtown Detroit. I bought three tickets on the secondary market in American dollars. What do you think my total bill was? So this is a exhibition game at the Little Caesars Arena, correct? In downtown Detroit. Yes. Uh, I'm going to guess that you paid what you would pay for a Little Caesars hot and ready pizza, $5. $5 per ticket. Yeah. So my total bill for the three tickets was $16.72. And I splurged. They, I did not buy the cheapest ones that were available <laughs> to us. I bought a little extra to get a bit of a better seat. I feel like we'll have the whole mm. section to ourselves. But uh, yeah, that was... I was, I, I, when we talked about the strip and we were budgeting for tickets, I thought, okay, like maybe we could do all three games for about a hundred bucks American each. This got us off to a pretty good start. <laughs> you sure did. You sure did. And yeah. we'll see uh, how the rest of those games go. None of them matter in terms of playoffs or championships or anything. This is purely for the entertainment value of uh, having a road trip uh, down to Michigan. So it should be a good time. We'll talk about some of it maybe next week uh, while we talk about a lot of curling when we talk to you again. So until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.